Thank you for listening today to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, Pastor Roy will be digging into John chapter 15 in our connection with Jesus. The title of today's message is A Portrait of Discipleship. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to John 15 as Pastor Roy shares from God's Word. Uh, If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 15, uh, we want to try to begin through this. And really my goal in this, I have three points in the outline and they're pretty simple. Um, And I just want to actually share all three with you because probably, well not probably, we're only going to really focus on the first point today because the first point is foundational for points two and three. Um, and, And you'll see that as we walk through this. Um, And I actually have the first uh, three points listed here. The first one is our relationship to Christ, uh, verses 1 to 11. Our connection to Jesus Christ is absolutely vital for bearing spiritual fruit. The second one is our relationship to one another. Um, How we are related and connected to Jesus Christ will greatly impact how we connect with one another in the body of Christ. Thirdly, our relationship to the world, our relationship to those who are outside the faith, those who are pagan, those who are unbelievers, goes all the way back to our relationship to Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're focusing this morning on our relationship uh, to Christ uh, first. Read down through the first few verses here in John chapter 15. Now we recall too that Jesus is really, I think, speaking to the disciples here as he's on his way uh, toward Jerusalem to give his life on the cross. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete." Now, we won't take the time to turn there, but if we were to take time, and if you want to jot down in your notes, Isaiah chapter 5 and Psalm chapter 80, you will see in those accounts Jesus talking about Israel being the vine, that God had given the very best that he had, and he chose Israel, his chosen people, to be the vine who would bring spiritual fruit and that would prosper and that they would honor God in their lives. However, when you look at Isaiah 5, it starts off like a love song, 
And by the time he gets a few verses into it, you realize it's no longer a love song, but it is almost depressing that God looks at Israel and he sees them like a fruitless, dead vine. And I thought, how tragic. And I've been learning about gardening um, since I moved here. I had never put in a garden until I moved here. In the last three summers, I've done a garden. And one of the things that I planted this past summer, was, spring, was bell peppers. And man, I was all excited because we're trying to eat healthier, you know, and it's like bell peppers are good, you know, you can bake them and, and put some, you know, stuff on them and, and really make them good. And man, I was all excited and I kept going out day after day and week after week and there's no bell peppers and no bell peppers and I had red and yellow and orange and they kept staying green and green and green and I thought, what is going on? And they hardly ever any, I didn't get hardly any produce. And man, you talk about depressing. You make that investment, you make that effort, and there's no fruit to show. Now, I did get tomatoes and, you know, zucchini and those kind of things. But the bell peppers, I bombed. Um, but I thought, you know, if we bring it over in the spiritual realm, and we think about our relationship to Christ... And if we are not bearing spiritual fruit, and God has given us his spirit, he's given us the very best that he has, Jesus says here, I am the what? The true vine. Jesus is saying, you know what? The vine of Israel failed to produce fruit. I came to represent the true vine. The very best that heaven had in the person of Jesus Christ. The choice vine Jesus says, in, or I mean, it said it recorded in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. God has given the church the very best that he has. Now, here's what I want to say. Acknowledge that Jesus is the true vine, that he is genuine as opposed to phony. He is genuine as opposed to imitation. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. He goes on to say that God is the gardener. I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. So let's think about this for a moment. God, the gardener, sovereign, sees everything, knows everything, understands everything about us, our strengths, our weaknesses, our good points, our bad points. He knows everything about us. He sends Jesus to be the perfect, true, genuine, real vine. Over here, he says, we are the branches, okay? He's talking about disciples. The, the disciples are the branches. So we got God the gardener, Jesus the vine, we're the branches. Who's in the middle? Jesus is the vine. He is the one that we have to be connected to. Now listen to this. He says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God... And one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Now listen to this carefully. No other substitute vines will work in connecting us to God. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other God, not any other religion. There's no other connection. There's no other means for you and I to be connected to a holy God other than through Jesus Christ, the true vine who stands between heaven and earth, 
God and man to connect us as the true vine because he says, I am the way, the truth, and what? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me, the vine, the mediator. A mediator is one who stands between two parties who are at conflict. And they are at odds with one another. And that mediator comes and says, you know what? I'm going to reconcile these two relationships that are at odds with one another. I am going to be the mediator who will provide reconciliation. And through that reconciliation, I will provide peace and a relationship with them. That's why Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. I have been justified because I have been connected not through me. Now, here's what other people do. So there's no other means to connect me to God. No other substitute vine will do that. No other means will connect us to God either. And this is crucial because I have been a pastor for a number of years, and I still see the same things people do to connect themselves to God. The first one is the vine of good deeds. You know, if I am a good person, if I treat my neighbor right, if, I, if, I, if I'm honest, if I do these things, if I'm just a good person, this will connect me to God. False. You are trying another vine, another route to connect a dead person to a living God. And a dead person cannot connect themselves to a living God apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus Christ came as the true vine to connect us to God. That's it. The only way. But good deeds. A second one is the vine of baptism. Some people say, well, you know, I've got a baptism certificate at home. I can pull it out and I can show you where I was baptized when I was seven years old. And certainly that baptism connects me to a living God. False. Baptism does not connect us. The vine of baptism will never reach the connection with God. And so baptism falls short. Baptism is simply identification with Jesus Christ. I'm saying in baptism, when I stand in that tank or in a lake, that I have given my life to Jesus Christ, that I recognize I'm a sinner, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I'm not ashamed of that, and I confess that, and I walk in obedience to God in identifying as a follower of Jesus Christ when I stand in that water. And when I go down in that water, I identify with his death and his burial and when I come up out of that water, I identify with his resurrection. That's what baptism is. It is only for believers in Jesus Christ. Baptism does not wash away sin. It will not connect us to God. Good deeds will not connect us to God. Giving to the poor, helping people, uh, shoveling snow. I mean, just you put whatever you want in the blank. All right, the third one is the golden rule. Well, as long as I treat people, you know, and I'm kind to them and I treat them the way I want to be treated and I, I do those things, that that's going to connect me to God. I'm a good person. I don't hurt people. I'm kind to people. I do all those things. That does not connect us to God. And I'm going to explain that even further here in a moment. This is absolutely crucial. And that's why I'm taking my time when he says Jesus is a true vine. All right, now I want to, what I want us to look at is I actually, I have an illustration here that I want to use. You know, it's gonna, this illustration is going to break down, but at least it might help us a little bit further to understand this whole concept.
jumper cables. All right? Might need these on a cold day like today. We have jumper cables, and you know that at each end you have two clamps, red and black, for the positive and negative. And you hook up one to a live battery that has juice and power, right? And you hook up the other one to a dead battery that has no juice and no means to operate whatsoever. Correct? It's dead. All right, so we have that. Now, let's look at that in light of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I don't know if that's the very next slide or not there, Bill. Uh, But prior to our conversion, the Bible tells us we are spiritually dead. Like a dead battery cannot crank over a car. It is useless. It can't do anything. There's no juice. It cannot regenerate itself. It has to have some means from away from it to bring power and juice to it. So is true for us spiritually. All right, so here's what it says. As for you, that's a little bit hard to read there maybe in that, but as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins like this dead battery in which you used to live. And here's how we know the person is dead. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I want you to notice this next line here. All of us lived among them at one time. You were not born in a right relationship with God. I was not born in a right relationship with God. I was not connected to Jesus Christ, the vine that connects me to God. I was disconnected and I was dead. In sin, there was nothing in me that wanted Jesus Christ. There was nothing in me that wanted that until the Spirit of God began to quicken truth to me to show me my deadness and to show me that I needed Jesus Christ. All of us, he says, lived among them at one time. You, me, every person alive was dead spiritually. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, what did he do? Made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. Even when I was like a dead battery and I wanted nothing to do with God whatsoever, God at the other end of the spectrum, I was absolutely separated from God. He sends Jesus to die on the cross to become the true vine to reach out to me who is dead and to reach out to God to connect us together. I I tell you, that analogy just touches my heart. Because without that, we have zero hope of eternal life. We have zero hope of salvation. And one of the things, and nurses will know this, when, when, when you work in a hospital, I, I've done a little reading, and, and what nurses will do when they work in, an, in a, neo, a neonatal unit or something, and they, and they chart on the chart, how is the, how is the baby doing? And if a baby fails to gain weight and grow, do you know what they write down on the chart? F 
capital F, capital T, capital T. And what it stands for is failure to thrive. And I thought, how many people are in church failing to thrive because they're not genuinely connected to God? If you and I are connected to God, the Bible says through Jesus Christ we will bear spiritual fruit. We will be producing spiritual things in our life. Not by what we do, but by what Jesus does through us. Because he tells us in John chapter 15... Look down in verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now here's where this analogy breaks down. Because after you transfer power to that dead battery, you unhook it. And you unhook that and you put it away. However, in the Christian life, we never unhook ourselves from Jesus Christ. I can never separate myself from this vine because the minute I begin to separate myself from that vine, I become dead. <laughs> the only way I have spiritual life and the only way I have a desire to follow Jesus Christ is that I'm absolutely connected to that vine. And the only way I stay connected to that vine, he says, to remain in me, he says, is to allow the word of God to remain in us. And that's crucial. And you know what I see in our culture? Everything is screaming for my time and my energy and my attention. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, I have as much energy as I had when I was 22 for 10 minutes. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, I don't have as much energy as I had at 22. And so I have to be selective on where I put my energy, right? Don't we all have to be selective on where we put our energy? And it's crucial that we remain in Jesus Christ. And this analogy, I hope you will remember, because that's the only way we are going to do it. And then he talks about asking anything in his name. Through prayer, we stay connected to God through Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say, as for you who he quickened, as for you who were dead in trespasses, look what it means to be quickened. To cause to live, to make alive. And it says God imparted spiritual life. That's the only way we have life. Look at the other verse here are on dead. You hath he quickened who were dead. Comes from the word necros, which means destitute of a spiritual life, a life alienated from God. Listen, a living corpse without God's spirit. That's what a person is who is not connected to Jesus Christ. They are a living corpse without the Spirit of God. There's no hope for them. I don't care how much good you think they are or how much good you think they do or how many names they're building, you know, on buildings their name is on. It doesn't matter. They are spiritually dead if they are not connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how much fruit are we really producing as we are connected to this vine. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus Christ. And that's the key. 
He goes on to say this second part. Well, actually, right before I get to that, in John 1.4, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, he says this, There have been many priests since uh, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. He's talking about priests of the Old Testament, Levites and priests who led God's people. There were many of those, but they died. Their office stopped because of death, physical death. He says, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able completely to save or he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, through Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. If you are lost this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not connected to the vine, you are spiritually dead. There is no hope of eternal life for you unless you cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize that I am spiritually dead, like that dead battery. I have no spiritual life in me. The only way I can connect myself to a holy God is to acknowledge my sinfulness and say, God, I need mercy. I need your grace. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person in Jesus Christ. That is the key. By acknowledging Jesus as the true vine, I will also acknowledge that God is the sovereign gardener. Notice he says, my father is the gardener. He is the one who oversees and superintends the garden to make sure it is healthy, it is growing, it is bearing fruit. Now, every farmer knows you don't, you don't fail to check the yield, right? <laughs> you want to know how much per acre yield am I getting? And can I get more out of this crop? Can I get more out of this land? I want to make the most. I want to be a good steward. I want to do the very best that I can. I can't imagine a farmer going into the field. You know, let me see how little I can get. Let me just see if I can reduce my yield just a little bit. Because I, I really don't want that much. That's nonsense. Can you imagine God looking at the church and saying, my people, I, I just want a little bit less fruit out of you. I just don't want you to produce that much fruit. I don't want you to be that excited about the things of God. I don't want you to be that much into it. I mean, you've got other things you've got to do. No, it's probably the opposite. We have busied ourselves so much that we don't have time sometimes for the things of God that we ought to have in our life. I remember uh, when Brandon, our youngest, took gymnastics and he was about seven years of age, and we would go, uh, my wife and I would go watch him. And they had a big floor, and they had mats uh, all over the floor, and there were kids on different things. There were kids on the uneven bars, and kids on the trampoline, and kids on the big floor doing cartwheels and handsprings and all that stuff. And, you know, I would have taught Brandon those things, but, you know, sometimes you just got to leave that for other people. <laughs> and if you believe that, I'll sell you some swampland in Florida. Um, no, you know, I didn't want to wind up in the hospital. So we took him, and he was going there getting trained. And, but it was neat. They had a room upstairs where you could actually climb the stairs. You went up, and they had all these windows and glass. And I could look down, and I could watch him. Every move he made, and every mistake he made, and every positive thing he did. And then I saw other people 
And sometimes I saw people come in with ankle braces and casts and things. I said, they did something wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I, see, Brandon had a very small per- perspective because all he could see was kind of what he was involved in, what he was doing. But I could see it all. And I thought, you know what? That's the sovereignty of God. You know, we see our little plot. We see our little row of our garden. We see our little plant. And we think, man, we, we, we understand the whole picture here. We don't understand hardly anything. We see our little plot of land. We see our little plant, our little crop. And God sees the whole thing. And, and then God starts disrupting that crop. And here's what he says. Look over again in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. In other words, God looks at my life for productivity and spiritual fruit, and if he doesn't see what he likes and he sees dead branches, he gets out the pruning hook and the shears, and he begins to cut. Now, that branch doesn't scream, a plant, when you cut on it, but we do, (laughs) don't we? Because it's painful. He cuts out every dead branch. Because, and you know why he cuts it out? Because what will happen is if you don't cut out the deadness of that branch, that branch that's dead can carry disease and decay and destroy the rest of the plant. And so he cuts it off and, and he burns it. And you know why he burns it? Because that wood, if you look at a vine, it's good for nothing except bearing fruit. It, you can't build anything with it. You can't do anything with it. You burn it because it's useless unless it's bearing fruit. And so he cuts it out of our life. And when you look back in Isaiah chapter 5 and when you see the, the sour grapes that were being developed, the wild grapes that came, and when you look a little bit deeper in the word, it says that they stink. That's what wild grapes do. They stink. They smell. And I wonder sometimes if that's the way our lives are for the Lord, the sovereign gardener. But he wants to cut them out. And then he goes on and he says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Again, God gets out those pruning hooks and those shears and he begins to cut and trim. And it's the idea of he lifts it up and he looks at it and he wants it to be more fruitful so he begins to cut. And it can be very painful in our lives when God begins to do that. I have seen people react to God negatively. And instead of them building their faith and becoming more fruitful, they begin to criticize God and blame God and get mad at God and angry and bitter in their life because God began to prune something in their life or cut something away. And many of you heard my story, and I'll just share it with you because maybe some of you haven't, but I thought I was going to be the next pastor of the church in Virginia, a church of 1,400 people, and my head probably began to swell, (laughs) quite honestly. Man! I'll be the pastor of this large church. And, and God had different plans. And God began to trim and prune. Say, no, that's not what I have for you. And you know, that's painful. But you know what? I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it for what God has done in my life. Was it painful? 
One of the most painful things I've ever been through in my life. Would I want to go through it again? Not in a hundred years. Am I glad I went through it? Absolutely. Because God changed my life. And all I'm saying is, if God begins to prune in your life, and maybe he's pruning right now, maybe he's beginning to cut away some branches, and you're like, God, what in the world are you doing? Would you trust the sovereign gardener that you only see a small little crop? You see your little row, and you think you've got it all figured out for not only yourself, but you've got it figured out for everybody else in their community too. <laughs> and we don't. We don't at all. We see through a glass darkly. And God is trying to cut away those pieces in our lives. And if we took the time, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to cut out the old self. The old self in our lives. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Why is he pruning me? Because he wants me to be like God. He wants me to be like Jesus. So he's going to take the selfishness of my life and he's going to begin to prune it. He's going to take the dishonesty in my life and he's going to begin to prune it. He's going to take the profanity, profane tongue in my life and he's going to begin to prune it. He's going to take the anger of my life and he's going to begin to prune it and soften me so that I will be more humble and more pliable in the hands of God. If we took time, and I am going to take time just for a moment to read this to you because this is powerful. Okay, so that's Ephesians chapter 4. If we turn over just uh, to Colossians, let me just read this to you in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 8, he says, You must rid yourselves of all such things as these. When I say rid yourselves, God is going to cut them out of our lives. Of all such things as these, anger, Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self. How? The Spirit of God, if you are connected to the vine of Jesus Christ, will cut those things out of your life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot continue to practice that. You put off the old self and you put on the new self which is created to be like God. You have put on, he says, you've taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And what does he say in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation, the old has gone. The old life has gone. It's been put to death. And the new has come. And that new bears spiritual fruit. We reflect Jesus Christ more and more in our lives. And God is glorified through that when we do that in our lives. So here's the second part. God is active in his work of making me a disciple. His concern, he cuts off those branches and he trims the other ones. I want to read another verse to you just quickly in Matthew chapter 13. 
How is it, what is it that kills fruit in our lives? Some of those things I just read to you, anger, rage, malice, but listen to this. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 22 and 23, the one who received the seed, and he's talking about the word of God, the one who received the seed, the word of God, that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. What is the difference? The difference is this. The believer who is connected to God through Jesus Christ the vine will not allow the worries of this life to choke out the word of God. We do have worries. The economy, my health, health care, my retirement nest egg, the threat of ISIS, American politics, children, grandchildren. I'm not saying that we don't show concern for them, but don't show concern for them over your connection to Jesus Christ. The true life, the true vine, the only way that we are going to produce spiritual fruit that will last is our connection to Jesus Christ. And it is so vital that we have that in our lives. He goes on to say the second thing of that was the deceitfulness of wealth. It's okay to make a living, but don't let making a living become the consuming passion of your life. It's okay to make money, but don't be so consumed with making money that it takes away your effectiveness of being fruitful for God. It's okay to love your work, but don't love your work more than you love God. That's what I think he's telling us. He tells us in Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed and that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The purpose of cutting these things out of our lives that will reflect Jesus Christ more and more. He says again back in John 15, I want you to see this. He uses the little preposition in 14 times in the first 11 verses. He talks about being in Christ, remaining in Christ, Christ remaining in us, us remaining in the vine, being in him, remaining in him, staying in him. He's saying, do you see the importance of that? It's in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that God has been doing in my heart and the hearts of some other men in our church is we have been meeting Monday through Friday mornings here in my office, and I invite any man. It's a men's prayer meeting. Ladies, you can start one if you want. But we meet from 5.30 to 6.30 in the morning, one hour to pray. Why? Because we believe that prayer is powerful. 
We believe that prayer will change our church and community. And we've been at it for about six weeks now. We did take a couple breaks, and we actually came in at 6.30 for Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I don't say that to puff myself up. If I do, God forgive me. Because that's been an area of lack in my own life. I confess that to you. And I confess to you that I think the reason the church is so weak is we don't practice corporate prayer. We run to every other meeting. We'll run to a Bible study 10 times quicker than we will run to a prayer meeting. And people will be afraid to pray, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. God's people need to pray. And we are praying that God would bring a spiritual awakening to this town and start it with me. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I will tell you that even to begin to pray, I had to ask God to help me want to in that way. Um, It is the fastest hour of the day. And I I just invite you, and, and we will break up into groups if we do. I will share this in love. I am concerned that we are more committed to programs than prayer. We have a lot of people involved in Awana, but when Awana is over, we still have prayer meeting, and almost nobody shows up. I'm not saying that by you not showing up, you're not praying. I'm not implying that, but here's what I am saying. If you look in Acts in the New Testament, you will see that the church gathered together to pray. We have so many sporting events and so many else who are out every other night of the week that we take that night off. But if we want the Spirit of God to work, I think we need to be involved in corporate prayer. I share that to you in love. I need to be involved in corporate prayer. I need... I need to pray with my brothers and sisters in Christ. That is what will bring us together as a church. That is what will move the heart of God. What would happen in in this community if we had 150 people here on Wednesday night to pray? You tell me. I don't know what God would do. If we really came eagerly, passionately, expectantly, God move among us. The world is sick. And, but it's the corporate prayer. It's the coming together. There's an encouragement in that. And I want to encourage you. And I want to remind you, too, that as we close in prayer this morning, we're going to have a short prayer meeting. And please don't feel guilty if you've got other plans and whatever, or if you're visiting. But this is for our people. And we uh, want to pray for some of our missionaries. 
and some of the struggles that they are having, uh, the Limebargers uh, being one of them. And so we're going to, after the service, I close in prayer. You can feel free to leave or use the facilities, but within about five minutes or so, ten minutes, uh, you can visit a little bit. We'll come back in here and pray. Uh, and if you would like to join us and that fits your schedule, that would be wonderful. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're not connected to the vine, I want to invite you to accept Jesus. Would you do that today? Is the Spirit of God tugging on your heart? For those of us who are believers, how about the pruning process? Are you giving God access to your life to prune and cut anything He wants? And are you saying, God, I'm going to trust you? Even as painful as this is, I'm going to trust you. That you are going to make my life fruitful for you. That's my desire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And I trust that each of us has a greater grasp of the person of Christ and what he has provided for us, that he is the true vine. Lord, there is no life apart from Jesus. We can't develop our own spiritual life. We can't regenerate ourselves. We're spiritually dead. And only by being connected to Jesus Christ his death on the cross that paid for our sin, his shed blood that paid the penalty for our sin. God, can we be forgiven? There's no other substitute vine that will communicate life to us. And so I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray if there is someone here today who has not confessed you as Savior and Lord, God, you know the reason whether it's pride, whether it's inability to trust, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would remove that barrier today and that today would be the day of salvation where they would connect themselves to Jesus Christ and be connected to God. Lord, I also pray for us as believers. Lord, I, I, I thank you for your patience in our lives. Lord, you tell us to redeem the time because the days are evil. The time is short. Lord, we only have so much energy in our lives, and we need to use our energy for you. We have responsibilities. We have work. We have family. But through all that, God, you want to work, and you want to bear us to bear spiritual fruit, fruit that will last. And God, I pray that you will help all of us to be open to your pruning hook, your shears in our life. And as you begin to pluck and to prod and to cut, Lord, help us to trust your sovereign hand, that you are doing something in us to make us more fruitful 
to make us more Christ-like for your honor and for your glory because you said this is to your Father's glory that we bear much fruit. And so I pray that that reality would be who we are. That we as a people, that we as Bethesda Church, that we as the people of God would bear spiritual fruit that would last. That we bring glory to our Heavenly Father. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.